welcome to what? It is your part documentary, part roundtable podcast, with just a sprinkling of competition. I'm your host, Ellie Main, and every week I have my very good best friend, Chelsea Harfouche, joining me. I don't need to ask you how you are, because we just got back from a women's weekend. Oh my God. Is that what we're calling it? Yes, that's right. It's a women's... <laughs> yes, it's a, it was a women's weekend. A women's weekend in H-Town. Oh, it was so lovely. It was very food-based. It was very food-based. How were the last three hours since I have not seen you? You know, they were tired. And they, mm-hmm, yep. They were tired. I had some deeply disappointing nachos. No! Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, I really want a plow burger. And then Favor said, plow burger's unavailable. Wow. But you could always go there. And I said, get fucked. How dare and you? Then, how fucking dare you? I will never do that. I will not be leaving for the rest of the day. And then it was like, well, you can get free birds for free. And I was like, I would eat... A- um, a free bird. Nachos. <laughs> I would eat a free bird. I would eat a nacho. So I got these nachos and like if I'm going to eat nachos, I want them to be just like covered in like lots of things. I want it to be like a pile. Like for sure. To me, like like in the same way that like pizza is like a category of food, like you can have all different kinds of pizza. Uh-huh. Like sandwich is like a category of food, but you can have like almost any kind of sandwich. Uh-huh. Pile is a category of food. And like I love like a pile energy. Pile. Like it's like pile. Like like you put like potatoes and then you just put like a bunch of shit on them. Yeah. And it's like that's a pile. Just, yeah. Or like or like a rice bowl to me is like technically like a pile. It has pile energy. You have like a base mm-hmm. and you're just it's as many things as you can put on top and like that just keeps making it better. Yeah. So for me, nachos are a pile of food and you wanna have like a ton of shit on there. <laughs> so I filled her up on the app and I was like, put everything. You loaded her up. Yeah, put everything on these nachos. So then when I get the nachos. I'm about, ooh, I don't know, three nachos in. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, I don't taste any cheese. <gasps> you can't. You- and I and I do feel like cheese was... On your list. <laughs> was part of it. It was on my list. And I was like, the thing is, is that it said nachos and it said nachos come with queso. So I was like, okay, so I... And then queso was one of the options. And I was like, but this must be for extra queso, oh, right? Because no. it is already established. So then I was like, if I had to specify to these a-holes... <laughs> that I wanted cheese on my, on my nachos. nachos. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. And then as I was uh, raging about this, I noticed that there was like an extra little like container um, t- in tinfoil in the bag. And I fished oh. that out and it was the queso. Oh. And I was like, oh. Oh, brilliant. I see. That is deeply disappointing. See, I see, I see. So yeah, it was, it, and then it just wasn't good. Should we tell them about the wet bed? <laughs> oh, should we tell them about wet bed? It's not what it sounds like. <laughs> It's not. We went on a women's weekend. We experienced a wet bed. It's not what it sounds like. Mm-mm. It was like this this weekend. Oh my God. Ellie. What? This week. Ready? Yeah. It was women writing weekend. Oh. Wet bed. Wet bed. It was wet bed. <laughs> <laughs> the four W's. We get to our Airbnb, which in itself was a struggle trying to get in. And we forgot how to use keys. It was a whole thing. And uh, it was hard. It was hard. And this was definitely an apartment that had been bought to be turned into an airbnb and it came with some really great art such as a green neon sign that said the millionaire society unexplained and then also the millionaire society in this like uh one bedroom apartment yeah. in like midtown houston <laughs> and then and then like a huge picture on the wall over the green velvet couch that just said time is money um which was a real houston energy but it had clearly yeah. just been like sanitized covid safe all that kind of stuff because the yeah. I, when we sat on the couch we felt oh there's a little bit, little bit of damp and then mm-hmm. I go to lie on the bed and I'm like oh well <laughs> the cover of the bed also just a little bit damp but I'm sure it'll be dry by the time that we you know go out have food get some drinks come back get into bed and so uh-huh. we do those things <laughs> And Chelsea gets into bed before me and she's like, I feel like I do need to warn you that it is just incredibly damp. And she she did not lie. I guess the whatever they used, however they sanitized COVID, made it, you know, made it COVID safe, had seeped through the duvet cover into the sheets. Um, and it was it was just it was an incredibly wet bed. Yeah, it like it's like it all kind of like sunk through the layers to kind of collect and like pool. Yeah. In like the fitted sheet it was experiencing truly the like razor's 
edge of like, is it damp or is it wet? Right. <laughs> really? You know what I mean? Yeah, it danced between the two. It was pretty danced amazing. Danced beautifully. It was pretty yes. amazing. I have a fact bang for you. Oh my gosh, bang me with that fact. I'd love to. <laughs> so, I know. So the moon... Are you familiar? <laughs> she, I've, I've heard of I've her. I've heard of her. She is getting further and further away from the earth at the same rate that your fingernails grow. Isn't that crazy? What? Yeah, I know. She's drifting. She's drifting away from the earth. And as she drifts at this obviously incredibly slow pace, she um, affects, you know, her gravitational shit affects the turning of the earth on its own axes and thus every day is becoming like the growth of the fingernail longer uh, <laughs> so it, it's 3.78 centimeters or per year or one one and a half inches the whole moon gets further away from us holy shit isn't that crazy and there's like a lot of science you know and i was gonna do this as my topic and i uh, halfway through ceased to understand what was happening anymore <laughs> Um, I, that scares me. Yeah. Well, apparently we don't have anything to fear quite yet. So not yet. Uh, well, probably all the other stuff. Probably all the other stuff, right? Yeah. Probably. The, what is it? The uh, income inequality, systematic oppression, and the other stuff. Uh, c- can I tell you a scary fact, Bang? Yes, please. Since uh, like this is the space we're in. Yeah. Okay. Because <clears throat> this was also like as we often say, this was something that I thought I might be able to do a topic about, but it really is just sort of like a one done one bang. Yeah. It's just a one. <laughs> bang uh, but it's horrible so get ready okay so okay so you and i and everybody else we know are homo sapiens right yeah like that's like the current that's the current model of person right yeah and the current model of person homo sapiens became the oldest that we know that they started existing yeah is uh two hundred thousand years ago oh yeah so that's when like the first anatomically like modern and like what that means is because like there were obviously like other like species in between like homo erectus neanderthals <laughs> so like that yeah i know okay it's because it's because it's when we stood up okay <laughs> so we're up or erect penis anyway. <laughs> okay <laughs> well you know ellie if you can't take this seriously okay no i'm sorry, anyway, I'm sorry. So, you're fine so two hundred thousand years ago yeah. homo sapiens uh that means that like the human being two hundred thousand years ago has the same brain as you or i meaning they're capable of speech they're capable of like complex relationships and like emotions they're capable of making tools like all of the things that you and I can do right or should theoretically be able to do if we were like maybe better at being people sure uh, these things these humans could do 20,000 years ago okay the first civilization that we know of was Mesopotamia mm-hmm. 5,000 years ago 5,000 years is all we got. Five and, a, five, and, five and a half thousand years ago. Because, yeah, that would be like 3,000 BC, roughly. And we're talking so, yes. like more than a cave painting. We mean like, we're, you know, shops and shit. Like, just anything. Like, record, like recorded history. Maybe that's a better, better way to put okay. it. Recorded history began five and a half, like 5.5 thousand years ago. Right. So that's 195,000 years of... Question mark? Human, of, yeah, of just, <laughs> of humans. Doing their, doing their doing thing. Doing what? Doing what? Doing what? No, Ellie doing what fucking like no do you I do we think that they were only like hunter gatherers think about like what we have achieved right in 5,000 years yeah that is okay and they had 195,000 years before so is it that this is my question I don't know is it that they weren't doing anything right or is it that we don't have or we that we just don't have the data that it was that it was lost okay like that's what I'm saying is like when you start to think because it's like yes it's true that like human progress seems to be exponential so like we've done more in the last 10 years than we did in like the previous like 200 or whatever right but still we're talking about 195,000 years just, of human history long that we time. just don't know what we just don't know what they were doing oh, i don't like that no i don't like it at all it's, i don't like it one bit it's spooky it's awful and i have to tell you yeah my topic is not in any way related to that fact bang but it is also it's well it, it's awful but it has like a little hope moment Okay. All right. 
right. Well, what's the title of it? The title of my topic is uh, "The Town That Dreaded Sundown," oh. which is which is uh, the name of a like movie that scared my mom as a child. So that one's just for her. Oh. Our number, like our our what uh, super fan? Shout out to Molly. Yeah, she always tells me about the town that dreaded sundown and how much it scared her as a kid. Sundown towns are the racist, murdery ones, right? Yes, and that's something different. Okay, that's no, I guess I will say right off off the bat that uh, it's not about like sunset towns okay. or sundown towns. The town that dreaded sundown. The town that dreaded something happens at sundown. Why would you dread it? Mm. It does sound spooky. I'm not gonna lie. It's a little spooky. Something that comes out at night. It's not something that comes out at night. Although scary things do happen at night in this story, which is why Ooh. I thought to name it that. Um, is it like about a, a creature? And it is not about a creature. No. Unfortunately, the scariest thing is man itself. Oh gosh. Um, is it about a? S- <laughs> well, because we don't really do true crime. Is it about? A, so it's not about a serial killer. No. Hmm. Well, Ooh. no. Well, <laughs> no. No, not a serial killer in the sense that you think that uh, <laughs> that, that it yeah. might be. Um, okay. Yes. Uh, like a like a illness, like a plague. No. Uh. Mm, maybe a mind poison. There's some mind poisoning. Mind poisoning. A mind illness. Is it about a cult? Kind of. Ooh. You know, I love a cult. Not like that. I like to hear about them. I yeah. 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 You, you're not gonna love this one. Okay. Oof. Oh no. Wait. Is it about like mm, you said kind of? So it's not like an actual cult story that I would know. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for it to be for it to be revealed. I think you're gonna be excited. What is the topic? that you will be sharing in the meantime. Nice. <laughs> it is called, my topic is called The Secret is in the Slippers. And I'm quite Secret proud. Is in the s- I'm quite proud that of it. That is a good title. Thank it's you. much better than mine, which is literally just the name of a movie. Uh, an unrelated movie. The Secret is in the Slippers. The Secret is um, in the Slippers. The about Cinderella? No. Damn it. But how cool would it have been if I just been like I know, right, right, right off, off the, the bat, bat, you were just like, bam, wham, bam, Cinderella, thank you, man. done it. <laughs> I've done it. Is Slippers meaning the little, the little indoor shoes, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, inside shoes. I don't think situation. they've always, always meant inside shoes. She says as a small hint. Well, because that's why. Because like Cinderella, she calls those a, gra- a glass slipper. She but sure it's does. Like, but it's definitely obviously. <laughs> it's obviously like a little like kitten heel or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, God, how incredibly painful to wear glass shoes. Oh God, yeah. You, all your toes would be smushed at the front. All your toes would be smushed. No give. Uh, no movement. And then like, what if you like? What if it broke? Right. Or and then it, like sh- sweaty feet. <sighs> Condensation, disgusting. Yeah, you're slipping and sliding in a glass shoe. Horrendous. Anyway, <laughs> horrendous. Dark sided. Seekers in the slippers. Um, is it about the history of making shoes? Oh gosh, no! It's a cobbler's a cobbler's dream. No, it's not about a cobbler's tale. It is not about history of shoes. Well, I'm excited to see what you've cobbled together. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that we're writers, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Oh my God, four W's. Four W's. Uh, who's going first? How do we decide? Should we do rock paper scissors uh, uh, over audio? Yeah, I think <laughs> that's great. Great content. Great plan. Um, great plan. Well, Sammy is our uh, is our patron listening. So what if Sammy decides who goes first? Chelsea, it's you. You're up. Okay. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you, Sammy. Also, uh, Sammy, thank you for asking me how I'm feeling. Uh, probably because of the way that I sound <laughs> and the fact that we didn't record last week because I was so sick. I was as sick as I think I've maybe ever been, yeah. knock on wood, the last like Laid 14 up. days. And I could not believe it. And then I went, I finally like broke down and went to the like standalone ER where my stepmom works to be like, Dana, help me. I am dying. I clear, like Connor thought I had fucking COVID and I was like I was like I don't have COVID like I'm vaccinated it's a different kind and, of sick and it's different and then he's like no it's co- like what else what else could it be you're dying you have COVID and like I went so I went to the ER and it was fucking allergies and I was like I cannot believe this I've never been so miserable my whole life and I took a fucking Zyrtec and a prednisone and I was better the next day oh my and I was so goddamn mad like it was ridiculous but I, I spent so 
so I spent 14 days like coughing, you know, my lungs up. Yeah. Uh, that now, because my throat was so sore, that I've just like damaged, I think, my throat. Aww. And that's why I sound ridiculous. It's not um, ridiculous. It's just a little like scratchy, sexy jazz voice. I was like, oh. <laughs> well, that's what, like, now I feel like it's starting to become kind of husky yeah. in a way that I think is fun. Honestly, earlier this week, Ellie got to hear it. It was weirdly high <laughs> and it sounded so stupid. <laughs> we were just like having a conversation and she's like, oh, I think that we should do it. It was like very high and also kind of sounded like you were on the precipice of tears all the time. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Anyway, nobody would have wanted to listen to that podcast content. <laughs> but let's talk about this town. Let's do it. I'm making notes. Which, the town, the dreaded sundown, I'm, I looked it up to make sure that I wasn't making like, I just, like I said, all I knew about the town, the dreaded sundown was that it's a movie that really scared my mom <laughs> as a child. And I was like, oh no, what if it is like about like race relations or something like that? And then um, I would feel kind of, I would feel like maybe it was reductive to use it as the title, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not. The Town of the Dreaded Sundown is about uh, a serial killer in Texarkana, but this story is not about Texarkana. This is a story about a tiny town in North Dakota called Leaf. Have you ever heard about, have you ever heard of Leaf, North Dakota? Leaf as in L-E-A-F. Leaf as in L-E-I-T-H. Oh, it's I believe, off of a Scottish place. I just want to say, I believe it, it is named for Leaf, Scotland. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I've not heard about it. It's Leaf this at all. Well, you would be forgiven <laughs> oh, for not up. knowing about Leaf. It's not <laughs> Leaf is not really on anybody's like list of like must visit sure. when they come to the United States. Uh, as of the 2010 census, the population was 16. Okay, okay. Uh, so, so a bit of a Lukenbach situation. Yeah, it's a very small town. Basically, what happened was, but 100 years ago, there was a big old railroad because you know how like railroads used to be just like they it, like that. The yeah. And Biden's bringing him back. <laughs> and Biden's like, those rails. Oh my God. I just remembered that we had that very long conversation with that Uber driver last night. Oh, yeah. We talked about Biden and his trains. And I was like, I will give that man any train he wants. Any train. If he cancels my student loans. If he cancels my student I will loans. rename myself Biden Biden. Oh, I did say that. <laughs> I, will, I will legally change my name to Biden Biden if, if, he, gives, if he cancels my student debt. <laughs> yeah, I told an Uber driver last night who did not ask <laughs> that I would change my name to Biden Biden. <laughs> and he was like, that's cool. Anyway, anyway you get, get out, out of my car. <laughs> get out of the car. Oh, very okay. good. We're back in Leith. Leith exists because there was a railroad going east-west mm-hmm. and it, like a big railroad. And then they made a little like extension railroad okay. that skirted up between two cities in North Dakota. And then Leith was like the little like depot, like stop on that little like extension rail. Right. And then that line was abandoned, like was closed in the 80s when everyone's like, fuck railroads. Everybody, a car for every person. This could never possibly go wrong. This makes sense. Let's do it. <laughs> a car for every human being <laughs> in this fucking country. Let's go. So they abandoned that time, that railroad extension. Okay. And then now Leith is just like essentially cut off. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Because no, like no major highways touch it it's not even it's not like a highway town you have to take back roads to get to it the nearest city is bismarck okay uh, and it's over 70 miles away damn okay so, so this is a pretty teeny tiny off the grid place yeah teeny tiny town. i'm trying to paint a picture yeah for no you. It's, it's everyone everyone in leith knows each other They've all grown up together. It's mostly farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. It's people who like the small town life. They just want to be left alone. Like that kind of energy, right? Fair. Yeah. So it's pretty big news if anybody moves to Leith. Right. right? Yeah. But in 2012, oh. not just anybody moved to Leith. A man named Craig Cobb moved to Leith. And for the 16 people that <laughs> lived there, that was pretty alarming. Okay. And the reason why is because Craig Cobb is a very famous white supremacist. Oh, great. Good, good. Yes. Good, great. He <laughs> he is, and look, there is uh, no flavor of white supremacy that I will tolerate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to, as like the st- top statement. Yeah. There are different flavors of white supremacy. There are like white separatists. There are white supremacists who don't think that they're white supremacists, but then say spooky shit about like <laughs> immigrants. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, hey, I've bad news for you. You are absolutely a white supremacist. Yeah. And then there's this fucking guy who says things like, my race is my religion. What? What does that even mean? 
It means that he doesn't just think that white people are the best. He believes that white people are God's chosen people and God wants white people to destroy all non-white people in a racial holy war. Crikey. This is a deeply violent man. This is a man that not just doesn't want to just see like the subjugation of non-white people. He wants their active destruction. He wants to kill them. He wants them to not exist. Right. Uh, Okay. He, yeah, he uh, often goes and disrupts public events, calling for violence and murder against any black and brown people who might be there. He has been... Hondo P voted for Trump. Well, it depends on what state he's in because he's gone to prison. uh, So he might not be allowed to vote depending on where he's at. Um, He had to flee Canada because Canada was like ready to put his ass back in prison. He moves around all the time. He makes very scary internet videos for fellow white supremacists. And then just one more very fun fact. I first heard this about this story that I'm about to tell you at a documentary screening called, which everyone, if you find, if you end up finding this interesting, you should go find the documentary. It's called Welcome to Leith. And they included this clip and I fucking, it fucking killed me. I was losing my mind. So in 2013, which is around the same time that this is all happening, where he's like living in Leith, he goes on like a daytime talk show called The Trisha Goddard Show. Okay. And it's like, uh, you know, kind of like a Maury, like sort of Dr. Phil kind of show, right? Where they're talking to the only black man who lives in Leith and then that man's wife and then Craig Cobb. And they're like, you know, doing like a whole like, now what's all this business about? And it's like, okay. (laughs) Really very much like a segment that like would not happen in 2021. (laughs) Yeah, let's just have it out. some screen time. Fuck it. Yeah, we fine. And so they have him on the show and they, (laughs) he's, you know, talking his awful nonsense. And then apparently they had uh, the producers in like a, just a genius move. Yeah. Asked him if he would be, if he'd like to do um, like DNA testing. Okay. Like a 23andMe. testing. Right. Yeah. And he said, sure. And then they read it out loud, like a, you're not the father style moment (laughs) on the show. Uh, And that's how he learned. uh, He has 14% sub-Saharan African (gasps) ancestry. Uh Oh, Uh, which everybody really had a lot of fun with in the audience of what was happening. Yeah. So anyway, he sucks and he's very scary. Mm, Big time. So (laughs) he moves to Leith in 2012 and everybody immediately is like, Hey, what are you, uh, what are you doing here? Thank you, please. Because no one, because no one moves to Leith. Right. But he moved to Leith with a plan because like many kind of like economically depressed towns all across the country, Leith used to have a lot more people in it. Right. Meaning that there are a lot of very empty, very cheap houses all over Leith. Ah, okay. Yes. So I feel like I know where this might be going. Craig Cobb moves in totally legally, buys a house. <laughs> the house only costs like I think it was like twenty thousand dollars or something. Holy like that. shit! Yeah, because it was. Is it in twenty twelve? Is in twenty twelve? Wild. And the, I mean, it's a very small house, and also like all the houses there are very very cheap. Uh-huh. And so uh, then he buys another house, hmm. and then another. House. Stop. <laughs> and then he has 12 houses. Well, now remember, there's only, there's like less than 20 people who live in this town right now. Right. And he now has 12 houses. Oh no. Then he starts putting out messages on his message boards and his videos calling for his fellow white supremacists to move to Leith. And if he, if they will move to Leith and join him, he will give them the house. They can live there for free. What? And quite a few take him up on this offer. And all of a sudden, all of these nice people people who have all lived together their whole lives are surrounded by white supremacists who make it known immediately that they are here to take over this town and turn it into a white haven is like what they call it. Like a white supremacist compound where they can start to like slowly take over. So their next step, now that they have moved all these people into these houses, their next step is to take over city council, which (sighs) sounds insane until you remember that they now have basically 50% right. of the population. Are they now, yeah, I was going to say uh, they're the, the majority now. Yeah, of the of the voting population. They've now doubled the town size. So Ugh. they ask for a new seat to open up because they're like, well, now there's more people. Oh 
no. So we want a new seat and we want you to uh, to hold an election. <laughs> and the mayor is like, uh, um, absolutely not. Super no, in fact. Uh, super no. <laughs> so they all kind of like band together and they are trying to figure out the original citizens of the, uh-huh. of the city are like, you know, what the fuck are we going to do? Because Craig Cobb has kind of made it clear like, oh, I'm doing this. This is happening. This is happening and it's all completely legal. So you can't stop me. So your decision now is do you want to like hang out and do it, which you can do if you're white <laughs> or Ooh. which mo- all of them but one were, or you can leave. But they're like, there became like this reckoning, right? Where it's like, no, we don't want to leave. Like we this- live here. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like maybe like the most beautiful or like interesting town in the world, but it's our fucking town. Right. And we don't want to go anywhere. And so they are trying to figure out like what they can do to stop them from taking over the city council. Because if they take over the city council, then it's, you know, it's going to be fucked. Right. So they're gearing up to have this like basic city council meeting. It's going to be like a citywide meeting because <laughs> it's like only like 50 people right. yeah, need to come. And they are like trying to figure out like how to also like, you know, rally behind and like make sure nothing happens to again, like their one black fellow towns member who's being being, as you can imagine, pretty harassed, harassed, yes. harassed by these white supremacists who now live here, who are like, this is our town now. They basically are like in the middle of like planning stuff. Meanwhile, Craig Cobb and his group are planning their awful shit. <laughs> and it's like so far, it's all going so well for them. They're kind of like starting to put stuff out there where they're like, oh, yeah, like Leith is step one. And then once we have control of Leith, eventually North Dakota is next. Like we'll take like oh, the whole wow. State. Okay. They're thinking of this as like the first step in a larger plan of like we can create these like white only like sort of hamlets, um, compounds, <laughs> yeah. yeah, all around, and then we'll have a network. We'll basically have like a white ethno state existing inside of the United States. For it, yeah, for the race war, <sighs> so that you have it. Oh right. Yeah. So when we get into a holy race war, we're all yeah, in the same so then you place. Have, you have the infrastructure. Yeah, you have the infrastructure. Perfect. So so to celebrate this. Um, uh, Craig Cobb invites the leader of which like bleh, the leader of the neo-Nazi national so- socialist movement. Ugh. His name is Jeff Shep to come visit Leith and like see what we have built. Come and see. And the townspeople of Leith are like, we don't want them here. And Craig Cobb says, tough titties, we outnumber you. And we're going to have a big white supremacist party uh, with this guy. And so the people of Leith go to the news like the newspaper outlets in Bismarck uh-huh. 70 miles away and they're like hey I know it's us I know you don't really like care about us they're like we don't do anything but thought you might want to know about this super fucked up thing that's going on uh, and it turns out people did super care <laughs> and when Jeff Shep showed up hundreds of people from all over not just North Dakota but South Dakota and Idaho and like neighboring states all drove through these tiny unpaved roads to get to Leith North Dakota just to stand in that man's face and say, we don't fucking want you here. Hell yeah. I love that. Which I thought was such a beautiful, like, that's like the big hope moment mm. of like, it's really nice to see, like, they didn't have to do that. And they also like, they they literally just did it to say, this is wrong. And we all know it's wrong. And you may think that like, you're proving something by, I don't know, bullying this town, but it's, it's not going to work. And ultimately, the good news is, as you can probably guess, since there's not a white ethno state, <laughs> uh, it didn't work. Good. But it didn't work on it's not because like the system prevailed like the important lesson of Leith is that it absolutely could have worked right if it had gotten to the point where they had had the election for the city council they would have almost certainly taken over the city council (laughs) the only reason it didn't work is because you know shockingly uh, violent neo-nazis acted violent so (laughs) a couple months after the protest against Jeff Shep while people showed up and said go fuck yourselves we hate Nazis 
Cobb woke up and he said his house had been vandalized. Okay. Like, you know, somebody like painted on it. And he, he just went ballistic. The thing is, is like, and this is the thing that I think is so fucking funny. Like guys like this, like him and Alex Jones and like these fucking awful people who just love to provoke and, you know, say awful shit. Like you would think that they would be able to, like that it wouldn't bother them when people say like, oh, I hate you. You're a piece of shit. You're right. like a neo-Nazi. Be like- but they super do. Like they, they super do and they lose their minds. So like, yeah, dude, you're taking over someone's town. Somebody's gonna mind. Yeah. They're gonna be mad at you. So, and honestly, your house getting vandalized is not the biggest fucking deal in the grand scheme of things that could happen, but he lost his fucking mind. And him and like another one of his like followers that he's given a house to, yeah, they go on like a rampage through the town with a shotgun and a rifle and are like going house to house threatening people at gunpoint about who vandalized their house. Yeah, it's also super fucking illegal. (laughs) It's an assault with a deadly weapon. So he was arrested and then he was told as part of his, unfortunately, well, it's complicated because, you know, I prison abolitionist, but he didn't go to prison, but he was on four years of probation and part of his probation thing was that he was not allowed within like, I don't know, a few miles of leaf. (laughs) So he had to go move to another town Uh, and then when he did that, all these white supremacist Nazi fucks who moved to Leith with him, like, didn't have a leader anymore. And obviously, you know, their brains are rotted or they would be neo-Nazis. So they couldn't figure it out on their own and they just all left. They were like, well, I guess this is over. So that is the unfortunately very frightening story of how Leith almost but did not become a white supremacist enclave. Wild. Not because the system is designed to prevent that from happening. Right. Uh, but just <laughs> out of like their own sort of idiocy. They had absolutely every intention of taking over the local government. Oh, absolutely. At, at, at step one mm. and then step two, very scary. Here's the update. Mm-hmm. So the update for Leith is that that, was all, that all happened in like 2013 and then his probation started in 2014 so and it was for four years so Uh. in 2018 his probation ends and meanwhile he's been like continuing to like do this kind of stuff because like I said he's he's not like incarcerated he's out and about he just can't go back to leave so and so then he goes to another very small town in uh in North Dakota called Antler and he says this time his his plan is to take over the town just enough to rename it Trump oh he just wants to rename it to be Trump, North Dakota. Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> but then he also tried it in Nebraska. Oh my gosh. But uh, yes, uh, he also tried it in Nebraska in 2015. He bought like a bunch of foreclosed properties. But because of the sort of national attention that Leith had gotten, the residents got wind of, of what was happening and knew and like, you know, found like the posts where he was talking to his fellow, you know, Nazis about how we're going to come on like Leith part two. Well, <laughs> this time it's Nebraska (laughs) and they all banded together and paid those houses back taxes so that the court could block the sale fuck yeah because you're like foreclosed yeah so like they just all came together and they were like we've got to pay this house off (laughs) or to keep the Nazis out which is like a bonk like imagine that text thread oh my god okay I know that I know how this sounds (laughs) we gotta pay some we gotta pay this person's back taxes everybody get a GoFundMe together we have to do do this this. That's wild. So the final update of the story that I think is the most poetic is Cobb's probation ended. He's now allowed to go back to Leith. He's He has deeded away half of his properties, but he still owns six properties <sighs> in Leith, which is a lot yeah. for Leith. Yeah. And so immediately when this like term is coming up, the townspeople who all remember, we're all there, yeah. start talking about what they're going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen. Uh, Leith does have a mayor in addition <laughs> to its city council. And uh, this is what they decided to do they would rather dissolve the town than let Cub come back because the town is so small that it doesn't have any municipal services most of the residents have wells they don't they don't have like city like trash or water or anything like that all of those things come from the county so the town has the right to dissolve their like city government and just be controlled by the county the way that like you know if you live in like a tiny if you just like live in a house like out in the hill country that's not close enough to anything you are like a resident of Hayes County you're not a resident of like Wimberley or whatever right so 
they were like, we can do this. Uh, we can dissolve it. And then this was the quote from the mayor, uh, Ryan Schock. He said, nobody can take over the city government without a government. Right. <laughs> like the government is the problem. Yeah. And I just thought that was so sad. It's like, it's sad and it's like beautiful. And it's, it's deeply surreal to be like, the only way I can protect this thing that is so precious to me from like outside evil is it, to destroy it. Yeah. And I mean, they're not really destroying it. It's not like Leith will go away. It just won't be a city. Right. It'll be like an unincorporated town. Has this already happened? But no. So they had a they had a vote for it. And then I think they ended up like not doing it because Cobb never came back. But it's like it's their like red button I that see. they have. Okay. That they're just like they're like, if you ever come back, <laughs> we're just gonna disincorporate the town. Wild. Yeah. That's that's insane. So that's the story of Leith. Oh my goodness. Can I give you points? I would love some points. I've written <laughs> plus five. Aw, a tiny town. <laughs> And then, unfortunately, immediately minus four for, you know, white supremacy. That's um, fair. But then plus those four back for the thing about the Trisha Goddard shirt. I've just written, fuck you, Craig Cobb. <laughs> I like a scary, culty story. So that's plus three. Put that. Yeah. And then plus three for your little moment of hope of all the people coming out and being like, no, he- hell no. And driving to Leith. I think that was very, very sweet. Yes. But sad that the only way that they can deal with him is to is to, is to to dissolve the, you know, sort of dissolve the town. So, so, I, so that's minus one. So that which gives you a nice round 10 points. I love that for me. Yes. Yeah, I would highly, highly recommend. I'm going to see if the documentary is available to stream. Because I mean, I know obviously like I looks like you have to pay for it, but it's only like three bucks. Uh, it's called Welcome to Leith. It's so good. It's one of the like I remember writing up that it was like the best documentary I saw at South by that year, uh, which would have been, I think, 2015. And it is it's so hairy. Like I, you know, I, I told like the overview of what happens, but just actually seeing like this insidious creep of, of evil into your sacred space is just, just absolute. And also just the way that like, again, like no part of it was illegal. Like they, anyone could theoretically do this. Like they could do that in Wimberley or whatever, like, uh, which is like a small town outside of Austin. If you're, I realized, I realized that was kind of a deep cut, but like (laughs) they could do it anywhere and not just like white supremacists, but like, like cults have done similar things. Right, like the was like, a wild, wild, wild country. country. No, yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. And the residents were like, hey, don't. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 you can't stop me. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're so. like, it isn't illegal, which is, I mean, oh, it's uh, very crazy. Spooky. Yeah. Spooky little story. Very spook. <laughs> All right, so the secret is in the slippers. How much do you know about The Wizard of Oz? Uh, I only know like the spooky stuff. What does that mean? Like I know that the little people who were on set were like mistreated, mm-hmm. allegedly, and that what's her name? Judy Garland. Dorothy. Judy Garland, the deeply unhappy person. Yes. Oh my gosh. After this topic, I deep dived on Judy Garland and was like, whoa, what? You're like, uh-oh. Yeah. I guess uh, a shorter version of your of the answer to your question would be not a lot. Not a lot. Okay, yes, so, so tell me. Most people would know the basics that it's a very exciting story of a young girl's journey to find her way back home, and her realization is that she had power within her all along. But did you know that it is actually a huge political allegory of what was happening in America at the time? What? No, I did not know that. So what? <laughs> it's pretty wild the amount of the amount of things, the sheer amount of things. The secret being in the slippers. So in the 1890s in America, the big debate in American politics was about the gold standard. The gold standard okay. was America's, the, you know, that America's paper currency was backed by gold and anyone could go into a bank and take a dollar and receive a dollar's worth of gold. That's how the economy worked. But this was causing huge monetary problems for America's farmers. Uh, where yeah. where are there many, 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 many farms? Kansas. Oh. Prices were falling. Farmers were defaulting on their loans. Bankers were seizing farms and selling them off. 
health. And so farmers lost their jobs and their homes. And many farmers blamed the gold standard because before 1873, which is when they passed the law and it changed, a dollar could be exchanged for gold or silver. And farmers wanted to return to free silver because the abundance of silver could, would cause inflation and then it would make e- it easier for farmers to pay back their loans. That's a very simplified version of what was going on. Right. Well, I appreciate it because, you know, I, I wouldn't understand it if it was more complicated. <laughs> so, so then, so then uh, and that's where sort of the rise of like populism came from in America, where they were like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if like our vote actually reflects what happens to us all? <laughs> Crazy. Um, but let me take you through all the different all the different ways that this is a huge allegory. Okay. L. Frank Baum is the guy who wrote the book, and he wrote that book in 19... Wait, no. Pu- the book was published in 1900, and then the movie came out in 1939. And the whole, you know, everyone knows about it because it was like the Technicolor masterpiece and a very much like pillar of American filmmaking and the rise of Hollywood and all that fun, fun stuff. But the symbolism is incredibly deep from like the main characters to the cyclone, the slippers, even Toto the dog. Say more. <laughs> yeah. So no one really noticed the clear parallels to the American politics of the 1890s until a historian, Henry Littlefield, published an analysis of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz in 1964. Most people had always just kind of regarded it as a fairy tale for children. But the, like I said, the symbolism runs deep. So Dorothy represents the average American. She's an orphan living in Kansas, which is a, in the beginning of the movie. They portray that as a dull kind of gray place that lost its vibrancy. All the farmers being, their land being sold from beneath them. According to mm-hmm. historian Quentin and Taylor, Dorothy represents or should represent each of us at our best, kind but self-respecting, guileless but level-headed, wholesome but plucky. She is the girl next door, which Judy Garland was very famous for always playing the girl next door. And she represents mm-hmm. the average American looking for a, a solution to her quote-unquote simple problems. So particularly in the 1880s and 1890s, an additional reason why the farming was really going to pot was because there was a terrible drought, a very harsh winter, and apparently a huge invasion of grasshoppers which scorched the prairie weird and <laughs> these farmers like I said they blamed Wall Street they blamed the railroads that we hello Leith they blamed politician and they blamed nature itself and so yeah this gave rise to the populist movement which promised solutions so the Wizard of Oz contains coded symbols that support this idea of populism Okay. The scarecrow represents all of the Midwestern farmers, which kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't have a brain, but he has a terrible sense of inferiority and self-doubt. In one 1896 article, for example, Kansas farmers were accused of ignorance, irrationality, and general muddle-headedness. So this is why we have a scarecrow searching for his brain. Well, that's very sweet. The Populist Party was pretty much mocked by everyone. It was primarily made up of farmers and it was, it was you know, they were called deluded simpletons and wild radicals. How dare you want to, like, be able to vote on stuff that actually affects you? Insane. But the Scarecrow proves that he isn't stupid in the story. He shows common sense and resilience on the journey. And so the story implies that actually maybe farmers aren't quite as stupid as these political opponents suggest. Then mm. the Tin Man is a mistreated factory worker because in the 1890s what's happening the industrial revolution and uh, this shift created loads of workers who weren't being treated well by their bosses tin woodman represents this dehumanized worker who was literally turned into tin by the wicked witch of the east once a strong healthy worker but after the witch cursed him he accidentally chopped off his own limbs and each was replaced with tin which transformed him eventually into the tin man is that wait is that canonical yeah in the wizard of oz yeah that's awful. I know. That's how he becomes That's, a tin man. I understand why they didn't put that in the movie. <laughs> so he represents factory workers who've lost their heart in the new economy. Um, and when, when Dorothy first meets the tin man, he's rusted, which apparently was paralleling the high unemployment during this 1890s depression. But he's ready to work because as soon as Dorothy gives him a few drops of oil, he's he's up and at it again. Um, and then the cowardly lion, this one I think is pretty wild, represents this populist hero named William Jennings Bryan. Bryan, lion, that's kind of, that's uh, slightly part of it. 
But just like the Cowardly Lion, William Jennings Bryan was known for his roaring, they called it. The way that he spoke, <laughs> the way that he um, you know, conducted rallies and stuff, he was known to roar. And he was even portrayed as a lion by the press at the time. So that, you know, it kind of makes sense. He promoted this free silver movement, you know, it was very much on the side of the farmers and he had a famous speech called the Cross of Gold speech, where he says, having behind us the commercial interests and the laboring interests and all the toiling masses, we shall answer their demands for a gold standard by saying to them, you shall not press down upon the brow of labor, this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold, which is like pretty cool. <laughs> okay. Not a bad speech. <laughs> Um, but he wasn't. He was never able to win an election because he could never win over the Eastern workers. Just like the Cowardly Lion's claws could make no impression on the Tin Man. This is why the the, the uh. yeah. So so that's how that's how uh, the Cowardly Lion comes in. He's this is this populist hero, and then the secret truly being in the slippers. Do you remember what color Dorothy's slippers are? Oh, those ruby slippers. Those ruby slippers in the book they're silver. Oh. So the reason that they changed them to red was because Technicolor, they wanted the silver didn't really pop enough and they really wanted to show off their new technology. So they changed for the movie, they changed them into red. But once you realize that the slippers were actually silver, the political message just starts to like scream at you. So yeah, the farms wanted to return to this free silver. The Wizard of Oz, the yellow brick road is gold and it's the dangerous path, right? (laughs) Which leads to the Emerald City representing the link between gold standard and political interest because Emerald City is Washington, D.C. It's full, in the book, the yellow brick road is full of cracks and holes and the bricks are uneven. You know, in the movie, that looks perfect, but some some of them are broken or missing together. Scarecrow falls onto the bricks again and again in the movie and in the book. But Dorothy's silver slippers carry her safely around. So the hint is that returning to a silver and gold standard would be the solution to these economic problems. Oz is the same as the abbreviation for ounce, which was the measure of gold and silver. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's more. The Wicked Witches represent powerful interests in American politics. So the Wicked Witch of the East, who Dorothy smashes with her house, is a thinly veiled reference to Wall Street and all the moneyed interests, you know, from the people who were trying to stop the farmers from doing what they were doing. She, that's why she's the uh-huh. one that stole the Tin Man's heart. That's why she enslaves the munchkins. She, she represents financial industrial interests. And then the Wicked Witch of the West symbolizes the rich in America's West bankers, railroad owners, wealthy oilmen, Rockefeller, like all those kind of guys. So just as the Wicked Witch of the East enslaves the Munchkins, the witch in the West enslaves the Winkies, which is a pretty racist reference to American uh, to Asian laborers in America's West. The rail, you know, the people who built oh, the railroads. I call them. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not great. <laughs> and how is she destroyed? She gets dissolved with water, which is an allusion to this monetary debate over liquidity. So the whole, this whole thing, it, and it keeps going. The flying monkeys, super racist. Oh, so racist. They do the evil bidding of the Wicked Witch of the West, and they represent Native Americans. Were fighting, um, yeah, they just call them flying monkeys. Horrible. Who were fighting for their survival uh, against the United States government. Baum's description of the flying monkeys makes the connection really clear. Once their leader explains, the, you know, the leader of the flying monkeys explains, once we were a free people living happily in the great forest, flying from tree to tree, eating nuts and fruits and doing just as we pleased without calling anyone master. But Oz arrived to rule over our land. So Oh, that's pretty that's pretty overt. It's pretty overt. Yeah. Uh yeah. This is from L. Frank Baum, who had some pretty strong, pretty racist opinions about Native Americans. He says, The whites, by law of conquest, by justice of civilization, are masters of the American continent, and the best safety of the frontier settlements will be secured by the total annihilation of the few remaining Indians. Yeah. And then... No. <laughs> After advocating for genocide, he adds, having wronged them for centuries, we had better, in order to protect our civilization, follow it up by one more wrong and wipe these untamed tre- creatures from the face of the earth. Not surprising <laughs> that he made the flying monkeys on the side of evil. Yeah. <laughs> and so then the Emerald City, like I said, is is Washington, D.C., and that's the goal of, jo- of Dorothy's journey through Oz, is to reach the Emerald City, a magical place that will solve all of her problems, and the mysterious Wizard of Oz will help 
help her return to Kansas. But this initial optimism that Dorothy has about the beautiful city quickly evaporates. So it represents the national capital, making it Washington, D.C. And although Dorothy, the average American, believes that the entrancing capital city will solve her problems, she soon realizes that the city, kind of like the wizard, is much more mirage than real. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then the wizard himself is the president whose power is an illusion, essentially. He's a charlatan. <laughs> Littlefield explains the historian that uncovered all this stuff, that the wizard is a little bumbling old man hiding behind a facade of paper mache and noises, making him any president from Grant to McKinley. <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of symbolic of the presidency itself. And just like a politician, he says, I never grant favors without some return, uh, which is... <sighs> Yeah, pretty uh, pretty on the nose. And he asks Dorothy to kill the Wicked Witch of the West. So, like, it shows his lack of power. If he was so truly great, why would he need a young girl to carry out his orders? Just like American presidents, the power is an illusion. And in many ways, he's less powerful than Wall Street and the railroad owners, the rich, which is still true today. <laughs> yes, so, I mean, it, it just runs incredibly deep. Some people argue that the cyclone represents the rise of populism itself. The poppy fields represent anti-imperialism, which distracted because the lion gets distracted from the poppy fields. I think he falls asleep. Yes, he does. He falls asleep. And that represents how uh, William Jennings Bryan got distracted from the monetary issues. And that's a big part of the movie and a big part of the story is like trying to wake up the lion. Even Toto has been imagined as a symbol of prohibitionists because he trotted along soberly behind her in the book uh, which is which is good to me and the even the good witches represent supporters of populism Barony. the good witch of the north symbolizes the upper midwest who voted for Brian uh, in the elections and then Glinda the good witch of the south represents the southern populists who argued in argued in favor of the free silver just like right. Glinda is the only one who understands the power of Dorothy's silver shoes yeah because that makes sense because the American south also has a lot of agriculture uh -huh. a lot of farms so yeah um so yeah so, she, so yeah she's the only one that understands the power of the silver shoes the silver slippers and so she's like you know hell yeah get it dorothy and throughout <laughs> the whole story three colors come up again 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 in the book gold silver and green the colors of money mm. so <laughs> his motive though like L Frank, L Frank Baum's motive kind of remains a mystery did he really encode a secret populist message in his children's book because he himself was not a populist and so why would he have done that in fact evidence shows that he voted for McKinley the Republican over William Jennings Bryan but it doesn't negate the symbolism of the book even if he did, himself did not like, champion populism the book can still be read as a critique of American politics in the 1890s right we may never know his true intent but uh, the historian concludes his sort of investigation into it by saying Oz operates on two levels, one literal and puerile, the other symbolic and political. Its capacity to fascinate on both levels testifies to its remarkable author's wit and ingenuity, but he is also super racist. So <laughs> um, Wait, did, he, did the historian say that part or are you that, adding so that? Yeah, sorry, that was my addition at the end there. Code I, was I was realizing in this quote that he's a bit too nice about this kid terrible man um so yes but yeah so that's that's the story of how wizard of oz is actually all about 1890s american politics that is no i love that because like first of all a couple things right off the bat um i it made me think about how like lord of the rings like i grew up hearing because like my stepdad at the time was like a big lord of the rings nerd yeah. and like that's when the movies were coming out and i remember like hearing all the time oh like lord of the rings is an allegory for christianity world war ii oh. or, or no i was gonna say world war Two or World War One or Christianity yeah. uh, or any of these things, and then I remember trying to look it up one time and reading that like J.R.R. Tolkien got really sick of people constantly asking what it was an allegory for, uh, and he was like, "It's not. It's not. I don't like." He was like, "I don't like allegories. <laughs> it's not an allegory for anything." But what I was like, "Oh, like, but like this is the sign of like a master work, right? right. It's like you can just see all of these things in it. Mm -hmm. Like people have read it and poured over the text." 
texts for so long that they can like they can build this like mythology like this like metatextual mythology on top of this work and so it's very cool to see that for um, I I wonder if part of that is because of his friendship with C.S. Lewis and obviously Narnia is a huge uh, Christian allegory yeah that one's pretty that's pretty over Jesus lion (laughs) yeah big old Jesus lion big old Jesus lion rising from the dead Uh, spoilers for Narnia it's like but I guess what I like about it is like I knew that like Wizard of Oz was like an American novel Mm -hmm. like or like in the sense that like he's an American writer uh, and it's considered a, a, like a a, Amer- like a a masterpiece of American literature but it's also cool for it to be like unique I guess like uniquely related to like American themes yeah. even though technically I don't think it's like one of the best books I've ever read I just have such an affection for American gods mm-hmm. because of how Neil Gaiman like really it is in some ways like just like a love letter to like things that are like uniquely like American culture yeah. that aren't just like rock flag and eagle I, re- I recently uh, started reading that yeah I would we'll have to talk about it when you finish yeah. it like because I'm sure that you would have even a different relationship with it as an expat living in America oh, yeah. and then reading this thing that's like because also Neil Gaiman is not American right isn't he British he is British yeah so it's like like for example it's like um, I think there's like a whole part where he talks about like roadside attractions and then like roadside attractions uh, Celia was just talking about this with me too like roadside attractions are like this like American phenomenon and it's like a place where like a Americans feel the need to like gather and build something Mm -hmm. and like only for the purpose of it being built like like building the world's largest ball of twine so that there can be a largest ball of twine off the highway for you to come look at like the world's biggest treehouse yeah like taking things like that and then like kind of giving them this um this like supernatural or like preternatural um like mythology is really cool and interesting I know this is like a big tangent uh, but like but like that's like that's kind of like what you're illuminating about the Wizard of Oz. It was just like, oh, this is like this is American mythology. Yeah, it is, and like and it, and so well done that it sort of flew under the radar a bit for a while until until you start to like once you peel off the first layer, it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Can I give you a bonus fact bank? Yes, uh, Wizard of Oz fact bank Please. that I thought of just because of your topic. So when the guy who wrote Wicked, which you know is a novel yeah. before it was a musical, and it was meant to be like a spiritual like sequel obviously Wizard of Oz had a ton of sequels that L. Frank Baum wrote mm-hmm. but this was supposed to be like a modern kind of like or I guess prequel to The Wizard of Oz and so he and it uh, you know a major character is the Wicked Witch yeah. but she didn't she never had a name in the L. Frank Baum book she yeah. was just the Wicked Witch uh, so this author had to come up with a name and so the reason that he named her Alphaba is because it's um, a style of L. Frank Baum's initials LFB. Oh, that's cool. So that's why she's named Alphaba. So you hinted at how Judy Garland had a terrible time uh, making that movie. I Uh then started to deep dive and I was going to do this as like another topic but it was honestly just too depressing (laughs) about Uh how to the extent to which the LA Hollywood studios controlled their stars and Judy Garland was got married at like 19 and and the MGM who owned her contract forced her to have an abortion when she got pregnant. <gasps> That's awful. And that happened to many, many of those you know, stars from that era. Um, and they put, because it would, wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be good for her image. <laughs> and right. they, um, and they, when she can't work. Yeah, right. And they put her on a cocktail, like they would give her amphetamines in the morning and then they would give her um, sleeping pills at night, which is eventually what killed her when she was 47. She accidentally overdosed on sleeping pills. Um, oh. And she, she, I mean, I, it's so sad. The, the story of her life is so, so sad. She ends up basically like homeless, sleeping on fans' couches. And there was a movie for which What's a Chops, um, Bridget Jones, Renee thank Zellweger. you so much. She won the Oscar for her performance as Judy Garland in Judy, which came out in 2019, which I kind of now want to watch, but also sounds very, very sad. Biopics are the quickest path to an Oscar. We all know this. is true. That is true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's my story. That's and actually, so I do sad. have to do a shout out because that was sent to me by also a fan of the pod my mother um oh really yeah she was like i don't know if this it would be a good what topic and i was like it would mother it would laura <laughs> fucking crushing it <laughs> that was really good okay well in that case it's only fair that i give these points to laura main uh so so sorry well that is my middle name uh, so that's still but, me haha <laughs> okay all right well if you're gonna look 
my what topic was not meant to like give you ideas about you know manipulating the rules for your own benefit <laughs> <laughs> um so starting off uh i'm gonna give you four points for populism thank you uh i'm gonna give you another two points because i really liked the detail about that the shoes weren't ruby mm-hmm. they were silver yeah that's very that was a real like kind of like mind additional fact because the ruby slippers are so they're so iconic I know. you know what i mean the rubies they, they, they had three pairs that they used for filming one's in one pair's in the smithsonian another pair's owned by a private collector and a third pair was in a museum in kansas and they were stolen and then a really <gasps> a huge very wealthy fan of wizard of oz said that they would pay a million dollars to whoever returned the shoes and they were never returned <laughs> that's why <wild. laughs> for 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 shoes i don't think there's a single pair of shoes in the world that uh are worth a million more than a million dollars <laughs> i really liked I, I just like stuff like that and there's just something about that it's just just like it's like brain tickling to me like it's like that dopamine button of um of just like this who is actually this and this is secretly this like do be like this specific kind of story uh-huh. this uh everything is actually this thing i don't know how else to say it uh it it works for me it gets me it is the kind of stuff that i will like full-on gremlin with my laptop oh, yeah. like resting like on my face uh-huh. in bed like to like read until like three in the morning so it had that kind of brain tickle uh so i'm gonna give you another four points for that um (laughs) i do have to take away a point because i found that tin woodsman thing to be very creepy oh yeah um but i will uh oh and you know what i just remembered the winkies and i didn't like that so that's gonna be another point gonna be go ahead and take it off (laughs) but um you let me kind of rant uh, at the end Mm -hmm. about a lot of different things (laughs) and that was very gracious of you so i'll give you I'll give you two points back on oh that. My, so that's kind of a little neg- a negation tied. there. Ten points each. Oh, that's sweet. I didn't even do that on purpose. I'm just bad at math. <laughs> and let me um, let me finish the podcast by saying update. Here it comes. The shoe. The FBI found the shoes. Oh, where were they? Um, I'm trying to find. Um, it's a very very long article. Hang on. It was like they did like a sting operation. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now they're in FBI custody. Yeah, location undisclosed. There you go. They captured a pair of size five uh, women's high heels covered in faded red sequins. Crazy. That is crazy. They found him. They got him back. So, but Ladies and gentlemen, we got No him. million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that whips. That was, you know what? I think for two girls coming off of a very powerful. Triple W weekend. W, yeah, triple W. That was actually a really strong episode. It was. Yeah, well, way, way to go to us. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of what I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold, potentially with a different voice <laughs> in a couple days. Hopefully. Fingers uh, crossed. Things go well. Yeah. yeah, fingers crossed. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Pinterest and Patreon. And our website is thosetwogirls.club. If you want to send us a message, send us a topic, say hi. And remember, you can join our Patreon and you will get access to our Discord and you'll be able to listen live on Sunday nights. Sammy's here. It's a riot. It's a good time. Yeah. Do it. And uh, if you could take uh, a picture of you listening to this and and, um, and post that onto social media and tag us, that's just really helpful for our algorithm and all that stuff. And um, I don't know, maybe this week, go learn something. Oh, Eleanor, when you go to bed in seven minutes, mm-hmm. I'm going to need you to keep it loose. Uh-huh. Keep it tight. Okay. Say your prayer. Personal. <laughs> 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 <laughs>